Section 49 of Volume 1B of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wendy Almeida. HISTORY OF ENGLAND FROM THE INVASION OF JULIUS CAESAR TO THE REVOLUTION OF 1688 BY DAVID HUME VOLUME 1B SECTION 49 CHAPTER 21 PART 2 The partisans of the House of Lancaster maintained that, though the elevation of Henry IV might at first be deemed somewhat irregular, and could not be justified by any of those principles on which that prince chose to rest his title it was yet founded on general consent was a national act and was derived from the voluntary approbation of a free people who being loosened from their allegiance by the tyranny of the preceding government were moved by gratitude as well as by a sense of public interest to entrust the sceptre into the hands of their deliverer that even if that establishment were allowed to be at first invalid it had acquired solidity by time the only principle which ultimately gives authority to government and removes those scruples which the irregular steps attending almost all revolutions naturally excite in the minds of the people that the right of succession was a rule admitted only for general good and for the maintenance of public order, and could never be pleaded to the overthrow of national tranquillity and the subversion of regular establishments. That the principles of liberty, no less than the maxims of internal peace, were injured by these pretensions of the House of York and of so many reiterated acts of the legislature by which the crown was entailed on the present family were now invalidated the english must be considered not as a free people who could dispose of their own government but as a troop of slaves who were implicitly transmitted by succession from one master to another that the nation was bound to allegiance under the house of lancaster by moral no less than by political duty and were they to infringe those numerous oaths of fealty which they had sworn to henry and his predecessors they would thenceforth be thrown loose from all principles and it would be found difficult ever after to fix and restrain them that the Duke of York himself had frequently done homage to the king as his lawful sovereign, and had thereby, in the most solemn manner, made an indirect renunciation of those claims with which he now dared to disturb the tranquillity of the public. That, even though the violation of the rights of blood made on the deposition of Richard was perhaps rash and imprudent, it was too late to remedy the mischief. The danger of a disputed succession could no longer be obviated. The people, accustomed to a government which, in the hands of the late king, had been so glorious, and in that of his predecessor so prudent and salutary, would still ascribe a right to it. By causing multiple disorders and by shedding an inundation of blood, the advantage would only be obtained of exchanging one pretender for another, 
and the house of york itself if established on the throne would on the first opportunity be exposed to those revolutions which the giddy spirit excited in the people gave so much reason to apprehend and that though the present king enjoyed not the shining talents which had appeared in his father and grandfather he might still have a son who should be endowed with them he is himself eminent for the most harmless and inoffensive manners and if active princes were dethroned on pretence of tyranny and indolent ones on the plea of incapacity there would thenceforth remain in the constitution no established rule of obedience to any sovereign those strong topics in favour of the house of lancaster were opposed by arguments no less convincing on the side of the house of york the partisans of this latter family asserted that the maintenance of order in the succession of princes far from doing injury to the people or invalidating their fundamental title to good government was established only for the purposes of government and served to prevent those numberless confusions which must ensue if no rule were followed but the uncertain and disputed views of present convenience and advantage that the same maxims which ensured public peace were also salutary to national liberty the privileges of the people could only be maintained by the observance of laws and if no account were made of the rights of the sovereign it could less be expected that any regard would be paid to the property and freedom of the subject that it was never too late to correct any pernicious precedent an unjust establishment the longer it stood acquired the greater sanction and validity it could with more appearance of reason be pleaded as an authority for a like injustice and the maintenance of it instead of favoring public tranquillity tended to disjoint every principle by which human society was supported that usurpers would be happy if their present possession of power or their continuance for a few years could convert them into legal princes but nothing would be more miserable than the people if all restraints on violence and ambition were thus removed and a full scope given to the attempts of every turbulent innovator that time indeed might bestow solidity on a government whose first foundations were the most infirm but it required both a long course of time to produce this effect and the total extinction of those claimants whose title was built on the original principles of the constitution that the deposition of richard the second and the advancement of henry the fourth were not deliberate national acts but the result of the levity and violence of the people and proceeded from those very defects in human nature which the establishment of political society and of an order in succession was calculated to prevent that the subsequent entails of the crown were a continuance of the same violence and usurpation they were not ratified by the legislature since the consent of the rightful king was still wanting and the acquiescence first of the family of mortimer then of the family of york proceeded from present necessity and implied no renunciation of their pretensions 
that the restoration of the true order of succession could not be considered as a change which familiarized the people to devolutions but as the correction of a former abuse which had itself encouraged the giddy spirit of innovation rebellion and disobedience and that as the original title of lancaster stood only in the person of henry the fourth on present convenience even this principle unjustifiable as it was when not supported by laws and warranted by the constitution had now entirely gone over to the other side nor was there any comparison between a prince utterly unable to sway the sceptre and blindly governed by corrupt ministers or by an imperious queen engaged in foreign and hostile interests and a prince of mature years of approved wisdom and experience a native of england the lineal heir of the crown who by his restoration would replace everything on ancient foundations so many plausible arguments could be urged on both sides of this interesting question that the people were extremely divided in their sentiments and though the noblemen of greatest power and influence seemed to have espoused the party of york the opposite cause had the advantage of being supported by the present laws and by the immediate possession of royal authority there were also many great noblemen in the lancastrian party who balanced the power of their antagonists and kept the nation in suspense between them the earl of northumberland adhered to the present government the earl of westmoreland in spite of his connections with the duke of york and with the family of neville of which he was the head was brought over to the same party and the whole north of england the most warlike part of the kingdom was by means of these two potent noblemen warmly engaged in the interests of lancaster edmund beaufort duke of somerset and his brother henry were great supporters of that cause as were also henry holland duke of exeter stafford duke of buckingham the earl of shrewsbury the lords clifford dudley scales audley and other noblemen while the kingdom was in this situation it might naturally be expected that so many turbulent barons possessed of so much independent authority would immediately have flown to arms and have decided the quarrel after their usual manner by war and battle under the standards of the contending princes but there still were many causes which retarded these desperate extremities and made a long train of faction intrigue and cabal precede the military operations by the gradual progress of arts in england as well as in other parts of europe the people were now become of some importance laws were beginning to be respected by them and it was requisite by various pretenses previously to reconcile their minds to the overthrow of such an ancient establishment as that of the house of lancaster ere their concurrence could reasonably be expected the duke of york himself the new claimant was of a moderate and cautious character an enemy to violence and disposed to trust rather to time and policy than to sanguinary measures for the success of his pretensions 
the very imbecility itself of henry tended to keep the factions in suspense and make them stand long in awe of each other it rendered the lancastrian party unable to strike any violent blow against their enemies it encouraged the yorkists to hope that after banishing the king's ministers and getting possession of his person they might gradually undermine his authority and be able without the perilous experiment of a civil war to change the succession by parliamentary and legal authority the dispositions which appeared in a parliament assembled soon after the arrival of the duke of york from ireland favoured these expectations of his partisans and both discovered an unusual boldness in the commons and were a proof of the general discontents which prevailed against the administration the lower house without any previous inquiry or examination without alleging any other ground of complaint than common fame ventured to present a petition against the duke of somerset the duchess of suffolk the bishop of chester sir john sutton lord dudley and several others of inferior rank and they prayed the king to remove them forever from his person and councils and to prohibit them from approaching within twelve miles of the court this was a violent attack somewhat arbitrary and supported but by few precedents against the ministry yet the king durst not openly oppose it he replied that except the lords he would banish all the others from court during a year unless he should have occasion for their service in suppressing any rebellion at the same time he rejected a bill which had passed both houses for attainting the late duke of suffolk and which in several of its clauses discovered a very general prejudice against the measures of the court the duke of york trusting to these symptoms raised an army of ten thousand men with which he marched towards london demanding a reformation of the government and the removal of the duke of somerset from all power and authority he unexpectedly found the gates of the city shut against him and on his retreating into kent he was followed by the king at the head of a superior army in which several of richard's friends particularly salisbury and warwick appeared probably with a view of mediating between the parties and of seconding on occasion the duke of york's pretensions a parley ensued richard still insisted upon the removal of somerset and his submitting to a trial in parliament the court pretended to comply with his demand and that nobleman was put in arrest the duke of york was then persuaded to pay his respects to the king in his tent and on repeating his charge against the duke of somerset he was surprised to see that minister step from behind the curtain and offer to maintain his innocence richard now found that he had been betrayed that he was in the hands of his enemies and that it was become necessary for his own safety to lower his pretensions no violence however was attempted against him the nation was not in a disposition to bear the destruction of so popular a prince he had many friends in henry's camp and his son who was not in the power of the court might still be able to revenge his death on all his enemies he was therefore dismissed and he retired to his seat of wigmore on the borders of wales 
while the duke of york lived in this retreat there happened an incident which by increasing the public discontents proved favourable to his pretensions several gascon lords affectionate to the english government and disgusted at the new dominion of the french came to london and offered to return to their allegiance under henry the earl of shrewsbury with a body of eight thousand men was sent over to support them bordeaux opened its gates to him he made himself master of fransac castillon and some other places affairs began to wear a favourable aspect but as charles hastened to resist this dangerous invasion the fortunes of the english were soon reversed shrewsbury a venerable warrior above fourscore years of age fell in battle his conquests were lost bordeaux was again obliged to submit to the french king and all hopes of recovering the province of gascony were forever extinguished though the english might deem themselves happy to be fairly rid of distant dominions which were of no use to them and which they never could defend against the growing power of france they expressed great discontent on the occasion and they threw all the blame on the ministry who had not been able to effect impossibilities while they were in this disposition the queen's delivery of a son who received the name of edward was deemed no joyful incident and as it removed all hopes of the peaceable succession of the duke of york who was otherwise in the right of his father and by the laws enacted since the accession of the house of lancaster next heir to the crown it had rather a tendency to inflame the quarrel between the parties but the duke was incapable of violent counsels and even when no visible obstacle lay between him and the throne he was prevented by his own scruples from mounting it henry always unfit to exercise the government fell at this time into a distemper which so far increased his natural imbecility that it rendered him incapable of maintaining even the appearance of royalty the queen and the council destitute of this support found themselves unable to resist the york party and they were obliged to yield to the torrent they sent somerset to the tower and appointed richard lieutenant of the kingdom with powers to open and hold a session of parliament that assembly also taking into consideration the state of the kingdom created him protector during pleasure men who thus entrusted sovereign authority to one that had such evident and strong pretensions to the crown were not surely averse to his taking immediate and full possession of it yet the duke instead of pushing them to make further concessions appeared somewhat timid and irresolute even in receiving the power which was tendered to him he desired that it might be recorded in parliament that this authority was conferred on him from their own free motion without any application on his part he expressed his hopes that they would assist him in the exercise of it he made it a condition of his acceptance that the other lords who were appointed to be of his council should also accept of the trust and should exercise it and he required that all the powers of his office should be specified and defined by act of parliament 
this moderation of richard was certainly very unusual and very amiable yet was it attended with bad consequences in the present juncture and by giving time to the animosities of faction to rise and ferment it proved the source of all those furious wars and commotions which ensued the enemies of the duke of york soon found it in their power to make advantage of his excessive caution henry being so far recovered from his distemper as to carry the appearance of exercising the royal power they moved him to resume his authority to annul the protectorship of the duke to release somerset from the tower and to commit the administration into the hands of that nobleman richard sensible of the dangers which might attend his former acceptance of the parliamentary commission should he submit to the annulling of it levied an army but still without advancing any pretensions to the crown he complained only of the king's ministers and demanded a reformation of the government a battle was fought at st albans in which the yorkists were superior and without suffering any material loss slew about five thousand of their enemies among whom were the duke of somerset the earl of northumberland the earl of stafford eldest son of the duke of buckingham lord clifford and many other persons of distinction the king himself fell into the hands of the duke of york who treated him with great respect and tenderness he was only obliged which he regarded as no hardship to commit the whole authority of the crown into the hands of his rival this was the first blood spilt in that fatal quarrel which was not finished in less than a course of thirty years which was signalized by twelve pitched battles which opened a scene of extraordinary fierceness and cruelty is computed to have cost the lives of eighty princes of the blood and almost entirely annihilated the ancient nobility of england the strong attachments which at that time men of the same kindred bore to each other and the vindictive spirit which was considered as a point of honour rendered the great families implacable in their resentments and every moment widened the breach between the parties yet affairs did not immediately proceed to the last extremities the nation was kept some time in suspense the vigour and spirit of queen margaret supporting her small power still proved a balance to the great authority of richard which was checked by his irresolute temper a parliament which was soon after assembled plainly discovered by the contrariety of their proceedings the contrariety of the motives by which they were actuated they granted the yorkists a general indemnity and they restored the protectorship to the duke who in accepting it still persevered in all his former precautions but at the same time they renewed their oaths of fealty to henry and fixed the continuance of the protectorship to the majority of his son edward who was vested with the usual dignities of prince of wales duke of cornwall and earl of chester the only decisive act passed in this parliament was a full resumption of all the grants which had been made since the death of henry v and which had reduced the crown to great poverty
it was not found difficult to wrest power from hands so little tenacious as those of the duke of york margaret availing herself of that prince's absence produced her husband before the house of lords and as his state of health permitted him at that time to act his part with some tolerable decency he declared his intentions of resuming the government and of putting an end to richard's authority this measure being unexpected was not opposed by the contrary party the house of lords who were many of them disgusted with the late act of resumption assented to henry's proposal and the king was declared to be reinstated in sovereign authority even the duke of york acquiesced in this irregular act of the peers and no disturbance ensued but that prince's claim to the crown was too well known and the steps which he had taken to promote it were too evident ever to allow sincere trust and confidence to have place between the parties the court retired to coventry and invited the duke of york and the earls of salisbury and warwick to attend the king's person when they were on the road they received intelligence that designs were formed against their liberties and lives they immediately separated themselves richard withdrew to his castle of wigmore salisbury to middleham in yorkshire and warwick to his government of calais which had been committed to him after the battle of st albans and which as it gave him the command of the only regular military force maintained by england was of the utmost importance in the present juncture still men of peaceable dispositions and among the rest bourchet archbishop of canterbury thought it not too late to interpose with their good offices in order to prevent that effusion of blood with which the kingdom was threatened and the awe in which each party stood of the other rendered the mediation for some time successful it was agreed that all the great leaders on both sides should meet in london and be solemnly reconciled the duke of york and his partisans came thither with numerous retinues and took up their quarters near each other for mutual security the leaders of the lancastrian party used the same precaution the mayor at the head of five thousand men kept a strict watch night and day and was extremely vigilant in maintaining peace between them terms were adjusted which removed not the ground of difference an outward reconciliation only was procured and in order to notify this accord to the whole people a solemn procession to st paul's was appointed where the duke of york led queen margaret and a leader of one party marched hand in hand with a leader of the opposite the less real cordiality prevailed the more were the exterior demonstrations of amity redoubled but it was evident that a contest for a crown could not thus be peaceably accommodated that each party watched only for an opportunity of subverting the other and that much blood must yet be spilt ere the nation could be restored to perfect tranquillity or enjoy a settled and established government end of section forty nine chapter twenty one part two